It's lovely to be with you this morning. I, uh, up, down, more, better, okay. Um, what you guys don't know is what I know, and um, that makes me excited, because many of the things that were shared this morning has been something that I've been prepping around. Um, and I just want to say this to you, that rather than dialing out, dial in, because what I know is, and once you said it, I feel God is doing something, um, especially with the words that's been shared. When we had the prayer, the word that came about, desires that we have in life, God being faithful, um, just park those thoughts, and hopefully we can dial a bit into it. So anyways, it's such a great privilege to be with you this morning, and I mean, when we gather like this, it's, it's become something that I've just found as a great privilege. Whether you're here in the venue this morning or you're online, it's something that we learn that we can't take for granted. And when we get to sit around God's Word, it's just a beautiful thing. And um, it is a great privilege to be able to share this with you this morning. And if you can't read my name tag or I haven't met you before, my name is Vessel and I'm married to this beautiful lady in the front here. And uh, we soon to be a family of three, not four yet, Cole. Um, that, that would have been a surprise. Um, and uh, what I also want to say is that if you don't believe in miracles, I want to kick us off with a great miracle, is that um, if a guy like me can marry that far up, then you know God is still doing some miracles and there's hope. So um, I, have a, I have a beautiful and amazing wife and I'm really looking forward to our next journey. This, the second thing is, we also in this uh, end of year story, and we're kicking off a new series this morning called um, the, the King is Born, and, and that's my privilege to kick us off this morning. It's the expectation of Jesus' arrival, um, and the, the fact that we can celebrate the glory of what Christmas brings with the human birth of our King and Savior. And uh, we'll be jumping into the Gospel of Luke this morning from uh, Luke 1 from verse 5 to 25, but I just first want to pray for us before we get going. Lord, thank you that we get the privilege of, of sitting under your word this morning. Thank you that we get to explore something of your heart for us. Thank you that we know, even before we start, that you are a faithful God that, that really is a God that delivers on promises, sometimes even when we struggle to hold on to those. Thank you that we can trust in your complete work on the cross. Thank you that we get to tune our hearts towards something of your goodness and your greatness with your son that you've sent for our sins. And that we know that we have a hope in a savior that is greater than any of our misunderstandings, any of our mishaps. Um, and we just bring our hearts before you this morning and ask that you would open it. I pray that you would empty me of myself and that you would use me in a way that is glorifying to your name and that you would anoint the words that it is such that it speaks your heart this morning, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, um, today we're going to do it a bit different. We don't have a lot of points. My wife normally tells me I'm better at stories and she's good at remembering scripture. So she's going to quote the whole of 1 um, Luke 5 to 25 for you. Just kidding. <laughs> she's going to be very nervous with her Kumbais Engels, as she would say. Um, that's Afrikaans if you don't pick it up. Um, <clears throat> anyways, I think we're going to go through the scripture, pause on certain points, and I just want to highlight things as we go along. Um, so if you don't mind following with me in Luke um, 1 verse 5, we open the account and it says, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, 
There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron. And I always get stuck here because I think of the joke that the guy made about mispronouncing names, and I always want to say Aaron, which is obviously not right. (laughs) Thanks, Wes. And her name was Elizabeth, which is a lot easier than Aaron. Anyways, Aaron, I'm going to get stuck there. Um, The first part of the scripture, we get to meet our two main characters this morning, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they were not just a random couple, they were actually from a priestly tribe from the family of Aaron. Um, And Zechariah is one of 18,000 priests that will be on duty one to two weeks a year. And now Bren is like, yeah, (laughs) one to two weeks a year that I can do, (laughs) Um, sign me up. In verse 6, we learn another thing from these two couples. In verse 6 it says, and, when they, uh, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all his commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So what we do see is that both were godly. They were righteous before God. They were walking blamelessly in all of God's commandments. But then Luke also wants, to, wants us to know that even though they were righteous and godly people, they suffered greatly. Their lives were marked with deep disappointment, not being able to have children, children they really longed for. And for some people, that might even hit a little bit harder this morning and make it a little bit more relatable. And they were in their 60s. So they kind of knew that, much like Abram, this this ship has sailed. It it doesn't seem like things are going to happen for us. If we double-click on those two aspects... On the first level, it reminds us that life is not simple. (laughs) Sometimes when we even live righteous lives, there are great disappointments that we suffer. Being a Christ follower doesn't say, collect 200 bucks, pass, go, and life continues. Some of the most incredible people that I've known has gone through some of the most difficult things that you can imagine. In fact some of those hardships have actually shaped them to be more godly. And some of the characters that we admire the most have gone through some of the most difficult things that we can even imagine. Many of them would even testify and say, in the midst of those difficulties, they've actually grown closer to God. That's where a lot of their godliness and character comes from. Many of the worship songs we get to enjoy is actually birthed from a place of deep despair and disappointment for the guys that wrote them. On another level, Zechariah and Elizabeth, is, their picture of barrenness is also the picture of the nation of Israel. So we find ourselves where we're in this intertestamental period where the Old Testament has been kind of um, done with and we're moving into the New Testament and God has been silent And there's this dark and barren time between the Old and New Testament. And God's people were in a season, not just years, not just decades, but centuries of barrenness. They they have been in exile, under oppression from foreign empires, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans. Power after power have ruled them. The glory in the temple is gone. Maybe the lowest moment is when Pompeii went into the rebuilt temple, so this new temple of the Israelites, and he sacrificed a pig. There's great significance in this. No unclean animal. A a pig was seen as an unclean animal. He sacrifices an unclean animal to um, a 
a pagan god in the most holy of holy places. The Romans placed a king over them, and Herod wasn't even a Jew. Times were dark, and it was barren, and it felt that there was no hope. Although, they are in such a dark, gloomy, barren state, there was a promise by God. In fact, the Old Testament is ended off with this cryptic promise. And in Malachi 4, 5, verse 5, it says, Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. God is sending someone to put things right. And he's going to start it off with a prophet to turn the hearts of people towards him. And he's also going to turn the hearts of children back to their fathers and fathers back to their children. So we pick it up in verse 8 again. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, this is Zechariah, when his division was on duty, according to the custom, the priesthood, he, has chosen, uh, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Just think about the odds of this happening. This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing that will happen for Zechariah. So there's 18,000 priests. Then there's a lottery that's cast for them to get the opportunity to serve in this most holy of holy places. This was Zechariah's once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And then something unexpected happened. In verse 10, we pick up and it says, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing in the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah needed to know the scripture, the promise, Malachi, children's hearts, father's heart being turned. This is literally what the um, angel is telling him. <laughs> no bells are ringing at the moment. Do you see that after this 400 years of barrenness and silence, finally a thrill of hope has arrived? The first sign that the promise will be fulfilled. And he will be set apart for God. What we do see in this passage is that God is faithful. Back to what Colin shared this morning. God is faithful to accomplish his promises. He was not caught of God. We see that preparations God was making before the birth of Christ. The times are dark, times are barren. The people of God are under a crushing weight, oppression, 400 years. Is there something of that that kind of resonates with you? Does the last two years not feel weighty? Does it not feel like your spirit has been crushed? It feels stretched out at this time. But what we read here is that God is suddenly beginning to prepare the coming of His Son. We see Him here moving on in the life of a few people. And in that, 
He's ready to change something. This dark, barren state, God is about to change the future. A whole new dawn on humanity is coming. He said he would, he promised, and he's going to. There's a bridge in this passage that's beginning to build between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is the one that knows the beginning from the end. Even when we are struggling to see it at that time, He is faithful to accomplish His promises. In this season, I could see the joy that it brings called to have His family with Him. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, like, I'm not even having my family. Last week I shared about a guy that I came to know about that works with me. He's got plans to visit his son. He hasn't seen him for two years. It's not happening. Times of hardship and darkness have been around us. But what this message is doing is reminding us that God is working, although we can't see it always. And He never fails to accomplish what He promised over your life. Never. He can be trusted. My question is, what does it look like for you today to trust God? What do you need to trust Him for? What faith do you need to be putting into action, despite your circumstances? Just maybe some perspective. Two years is long, but 400 years, that's generations. You kind of lose perspective of what you've trusted God for for the first place. So maybe you say, like, okay, great, so Zechariah has been a rock star. He gets this nailed down, and uh, they move on. John is born. Life's changed forever. No, no. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm, I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that, that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their time. Just pausing again, the word that was shared this morning, a promise that is fulfilled in God's time. Verse 21, And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at this delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my approach among people. Just imagine being in, in Zechariah's shoes, or back then most probably sandals. 400 years you haven't heard God. Nothing, not a peep. That's stories that your parents and generations before you are telling you that you need to hold on to. And then God speaks through an angel. And he tells him that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. And he tells him what the son's name should be. Look, if I was in Zechariah's shoes, I must probably have my doubts as well. It's just too long. It might just be too difficult. And all of, to take all of that in at once, it must be so overwhelming. It was the same for Zechariah. 
The one thing that we do learn from these two characters, which is an amazing thing, is that in spite of the incredible disappointment they faced, they didn't grow bitter. Both Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth faced massive disappointment. They were clearly hoping for something in a way that they perceived life to turn out, and it didn't go the way they planned. But neither of them succumbed to bitterness. They didn't become fixated on what they lost or missed out on. They didn't walk away from God because in actual fact it doesn't matter or help. It doesn't change anything in walking away from God. They remained upright before God and His people. Does it mean that they weren't sad? No. They had incredible low moments. In verse 25, Elizabeth talks about a state of disgrace. And in spite of that, they remained godly throughout all of those seasons. Waiting for, for a child for that long, it must be really hard. Two years, we kind of feel that. Just context. I mean, if you get to 60 and it hasn't happened, just imagine yourself being Zechariah, needing to trust this vision, this angel that comes to you, and you kind of just think, can't be. The thing about bitterness is that even a little bit makes everything else better. If you add a little bit of bitter to your food, it overpowers everything. If there's a little bit of bitterness in water, it overpowers the water. The tension of being able to be honest and real and grapple fully with the disappointment and yet not grow bitter is something amazing about this couple that we can take away. Seeds of bitterness grow, and if it grows towards God in our hearts, a sense of in, it's mainly driven by a sense of entitlement. In this modern world that we live in, we are told that we can be anything and become anything that we want in the world. We can have all the desires that we want in this world. So then we worship God from the perspective of how He can actually help us gain our own desires. Almost like this cosmic life aid or genie in a bottle that you can rub and he grants you wishes. What then happens is we get disappointed. And when that becomes larger than the God in whom we trust, we grow bitter towards him. And when this happens, we become tempted. When we live in a place of disappointment, um, being disappointed by God, we're tempted to justify all sorts of sinful decisions. We almost victimize ourselves. We find short-term ways to distract ourselves from the disappointment. And that can be sometimes good things, not even just sinful things I'm saying. It could be that you are throwing all of yourself into healthy living in terms of food or exercise. It could be that you are throwing and justifying yourself towards your kids or your family or your spouse. And it becomes an idolized thing. Again, back to what God has been speaking this morning as well. We see something different from Zechariah and Elizabeth. They managed to stay humble and committed towards God. Not just through a season like COVID for two years, but all of the seasons of their whole life. I wonder, there's a quote by a guy called Daryl Bock. Um, 
in a commentary, and it will be on the screen as well, and he says this, the following. God never guarantees that life will come without pain and disappointment. The central issue is how we handle it. Bitterness will yield the fruit of anger and frustration, sapping the joy from life. Trust and dependence will cause us to find fulfillment in ways we would not even have considered otherwise. God is faithful to fulfill His promise. We can trust Him in the, in the way that we face our disappointments and yet not grow bitter. So my question is, how are you doing there? Are you bitter towards God? Are you bitter towards other people maybe? The government? <laughs> the endless rules and things that we lock down level day, wara, wara, wara. The church, because we should have done things differently or better. Maybe towards your family, because you expected them to handle themselves better when we were all locked down in a little home. And we wouldn't know because it was just the two of us. But I can imagine if it is a family of six like the locks, um, tensions can run high. And you expected something different from your, from your kids or your spouse. And you allow these things to just subtly take root and it starts growing. And bitterness just keeps on growing. Beware that we don't allow unsanctified skepticism to color the way that we relate towards God. If we take a look at Zechariah again, although his heart was kept free from bitterness, he did struggle to believe in the goodness of God. Although he lived a godly life, he still struggled to believe that God would do this one great thing. And I can imagine why. Perhaps over time, living in this state of barrenness, he just couldn't get to a place where he could believe in the goodness of God anymore. Perhaps it's just rooted in this idea of a logical mind. Too old, things doesn't work the way it should be. What's the odds? The thing is, our mind is an incredible gift towards faith, but also sometimes a hindrance. And, and we, were work, we were busy working through this book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and the last chapter I had to prep and share a little bit. And this one thing just stuck with me, where the author wrote and said, Jesus reveals just enough of himself to make faith possible, but hides just enough of himself to make faith necessary. And that's kind of the place where we find ourselves in the, this morning as well. We, we, we just need enough faith that it is possible or just see enough of God's goodness that it's possible. But we need to be in that space where we know we need to long for and we, and we know it's necessary. So why did he stop trusting God in that moment? I can't tell you. But I can find ways to relate. There's also this one thing I want to put to the side and say like there is a healthy skepticism that we need to to grapple with to help us grow in our faith. Because otherwise we inherit things much like he would have inherited from the past 400 years, from his generations preceding him, things that is just because your family believed it. And you never answer the hard questions about your faith. And so that almost creates a, a, a lack of depth in your faith. 
and it becomes swaying as, as the wind takes you or whoever sounds more convincing that gets up to share a message or a friend. And so I want to read a, just a, a lengthy passage of, of what Tim Keller, Tim Keller says about doubt. He says the following. A faith without doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do, will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the, past, over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own but their friends and neighbors it is no longer sufficient to hold beliefs just because you inherited them. Only if you struggle long and hard with objections to your faith will you be able to provide the grounds for your belief to skeptics, including yourself, that are plausible rather than ridiculous or offensive. And just as important for a current situation, such as a process will lead you, even after you come to a position of strong faith, to respect and understand those who doubt. And I think that's also a great tension to hold, is use something like the doubt to actually strengthen your faith rather than weaken it. But Zechariah's long past this moment, this healthy questioning of where God is and God's ability to act in power in moments. I mean, in this moment we see his unbelief even when he has this angel, Gabriel, appearing to him. And the only one thing he can do is argue with the angel. <laughs> he is literally arguing with an angel about the possibility of a miracle. <laughs> this just shows us the power of what great unbelief can do. How often have you done the same thing? <clears throat> literally staring a miracle in the face... And not being able to acknowledge that it's God. Standing before an angel and arguing about the possibility of a miracle. If we look from the outside, it seems like a ridiculous thing to do. You are basically arguing with a miracle about the possibility of a miracle. And yeah, he's standing with his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in the Holy of Holies... What more do you want to expect You're in, in the most holy places with God? And this being who spends time with God <clears throat> day and night in his presence comes with a message and, and he tells him, this barrenness is over. You're going to have a child. This is going to be amazing. And Zechariah becomes a skeptic. Has something of that not been taking root in your heart? Has your heart not been hardened by this last season where just the idea of having to survive the circumstances has made that over the past two years, the economic slowdown, maybe your social disconnect with people. I mean, even for me, if I can be personal, I, I'm an extrovert and my wife and we differ in that sense. I have become an introvert. I'm very happy to be at home. It's changed me. 
not necessarily just for the good. I'm not saying extroverts, introverts is better. There's good things about both. But it's amazing to see how much this last two years can actually change us in even how we are wired. If it's long enough, it can have a great impact on us. Maybe just some unbelief has started to take root in your heart. Have you lost the ability to trust in the goodness of God? And you just want to get by. Not your own desires. What are you trusting God for? Has there been a shift or are you just happy to watch church in the mornings from home because it's a little bit more comfortable? No greater reason than that. Maybe this announcement where we are today, Omnicron and you, like me, I've kind of left reading a lot of this stuff because it just sounds all the same. But it just feels like it's the last straw. That's the president calling. He's, <laughs> he heard me. <coughs> Sorry. Remind me never to do mouthwash again before. <clears throat> it's got this weird thing that dries your mouth. <clears throat> Anyways. <clears throat> so maybe where we are today, we just feel like it's a bit of the last straw. I, I'm at the end of my faith. It's, it, it's hit an expiry date. Like your milk in the fridge, it's gone off. And show, slowly but surely, this doubt is creeping in, and it's given birth to this thing of skepticism. And your heart has just grown hard towards God. Just imagine again Zechariah walking out. <laughs> I had the thought, and I'm like, we were once at a wedding, and a friend of mine hurt his vocals, and he was asked not to speak. It's a weird thing. When someone comes to you, and you try, like you haven't seen them for a while, <laughs> this person has just come out of the Holy of Holies, and you're like, so how was it? And people weren't necessarily able to just write on a piece of paper back then. <laughs> quickly, or type on your phone, which he did. He had a pre-typed message, this friend of mine, just, like you have to read through this whole diagnosis of what's happening and why he can't speak. So there's like how many people you haven't seen for how many months or years, and you can't have a conversation with them, because if you do, you might lose your voice indefinitely. Imagining Zechariah coming out, and he's like needing to do charades or sign language, and I mean, it must be chaos, but at least something must tell the people that something has happened. Can I maybe ask the, the worship team to join us? So, again, this commentator, Daryl Bach, in his commentary says that, in an effect, the angels just says this to Zechariah, just be quiet for a while and watch God work. And God is good and he is gracious. And he's doing this great miracle that you've prayed for for so long in your life, despite your unbelief. The lesson is that we can trust in God. He accomplishes his will and his ways, even when we get it wrong. One of the things I will always remember is when I was a young, like varsity, because I'm so old now, but anyways, I was at varsity still, and, and we were leading a meeting, and things just felt 
that it was chaotic. And a, a one-liner by the same guy that lost his voice, he said to me, and I, I just felt I screwed, I screwed it up. It, it just didn't go well. I missed the plot completely. And he said to me this one thing. He said, do you really think the mistakes you make can determine what happens in the kingdom of God? And it stuck with me. In the same way, despite his unbelief, God is faithful. His wife falls pregnant and a baby is born. What we see is that God is always at work. He always have, has a plan. Even when we aren't able to see these things. So my question is, if you've got eyes, start looking for the signs that are showing you what God is doing. There are signs out there. He didn't just send a savior just all of a sudden. He first sent someone to point to the savior. He helps us. He knows that we struggle to do it by ourselves. John, this little boy that we'll continue to meet, but he's a way that prepares towards Jesus, this great promise, this plan that God has worked on that we don't even recognize sometimes. Just keep your eyes and your heart open for these indicators. As we go into this journey of remembering the birth of Jesus, that God has the ability to shut down the barrenness of a family and shut down the barrenness of his, of his chosen people, the Israelites. Zechariah and Elizabeth is leading the way. And in spite of them coming up short, There were people that pointed to Jesus. This is what we need to do this morning. We need to lean into that promise made by a faithful God about His Son and Savior. He never expires. He never becomes outdated by any of our seasons. And He is the one, in spite of everything, that's still fighting our battles for us. And that is the God that we can trust in. And my hope is that this morning, that something of the hope that God, in spite of 400 years of silence, changing the barrenness of a family and changing the Old Testament with the start of the New Testament, the bridge that has been built, that we get to remember that Jesus, back then, is the same Jesus that we get to celebrate this morning is the same Jesus that is able to break those strongholds over our lives, that is the one that gives us hope in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our disappointments, no matter how big or small, in spite of how hard your heart is this morning. Many things have shaped us for who we are, but a greater God is in control, and we can trust in His faithfulness and His promise. Can I ask us to stand and respond in a song just declaring that God is faithful, in control, and the one that we can trust in, and that we would be reminded as we go into this series that Jesus is the one that we can look towards and fight for the moments, those John moments in your life that is pointing towards the Jesus that we're celebrating.